It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I'm your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. It is February 3rd, Super Bowl Sunday. Thank you for joining us this morning in the fight for liberty worldwide. Once again, trying to bring you in the unbiased perspective of what's really going on in the world, not the talking points disseminated from Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, which have all been caught lying in the past multiple times over making up fake stories, fake news, just to push the agenda ever so much forward to the one world government that we're all hoping that we get. I'm just kidding on that one. Well, once again, thanks for joining us, everyone. If you guys want to call in and weigh in on your thoughts for the show, uh, call in number 602-753-1916. Had a pretty decent crowd last week. Nobody's calling in to uh, to weigh in on the topics, but hey, topics for the show today. Um, just more announcements of global government. We're going to talk a little bit about the economy, getting into the grand scheme of things. Why the the big push in the stock market isn't exactly what it may seem. Once again, if you make money really cheap, then you have to have a lot more money to buy the certain things that you're looking for. That's why gas prices go up. That's why coffee goes up. That's why all commodities go up. Because it's not necessarily the economy expanding so much as it is our balance sheets expanding and the printing of more money from the Fed, who, luck may have it, back in, I've actually got the document here in front of me, January 1st, 2006, they released their minutes of the Fed meeting and they talk about how, yeah, we really kind of don't know how to predict, you know, all these different market collapses and stuff like that. But everything's fine. Everything's A-OK. So thanks for joining us this morning. I wanted to get to the financial stuff. I got some other news articles that I want to cover. I actually wanted to get to a lot of the clips that I preempted last week but never got to and, and break those down because they really do tie into – what this whole agenda slash scheme is going to be. Because what you're going to hear now, because, you know, the EU's come out and said that, hey, everything's getting better. Look at, you know, look at Spain. You know, the, the leader from Spain just came out and said, hey, everything's, you know, we got some good positive things happening here in our society moving forward. And that's typically not the case, and anybody that lives in Spain probably knows that. You know, a couple of months ago, they were rocking 40% unemployment. That sounds like a lot of fun. And then the elected, I guess, officials, if you want to call them officials, but our electorate, the people that run our country, are going to try to do the same thing that they've done over there, and that's just create a whole lot of cheap money. And then what the cheap money does is gives the, the big conglomerates and the people with all this money – to go in and buy stuff in on the cheap. That's why if you live in America now, you think with the economy being as bad as it is, it would be a great market to go and buy a house when it's actually the exact opposite. It is a tough time to buy a house because the money is so cheap. So I'll get into a little bit of that here this morning. I did want to start out with a couple of quotes. I, I love um, I love Facebook in the fact that well, other than the fact that it spies on me which is on record by the way selling your data and that's why you got to sign all these you know they have their 
um, what you call it, their terms of service are completely separate from the actual contract that you that you click on and sign because it's it's how they dupe you. And they basically say that anything that you put on their site, they can you know shut it down or whatever. That's why you're hearing all these people that anything that you post on a gun, you might eventually we're going to get to the point where if you even post a picture of a gun, that you're you're going to get shut down. But anyway, this comes from this is a Norm Chomsky quote, and I, I love Norm Chomsky a lot, and and really like what he stands for. But this is the epitome of what we're looking at. And my wife and I went through a couple of these scenarios yesterday, so I'll get into that also. But it says the point of public relations slogans like "support our troops" is that they really don't mean anything. That's the whole point of propaganda. You want to create a slogan that nobody is going to be against and everybody is going to be for. Nobody knows what it means, but it isn't because but it doesn't mean anything. Its crucial value is that it diverts your attention from the question that doesn't mean something. Do you support our policy? That's what you should be asking. That's the one you're not allowed to talk about. How cool is that? And it gets into everything. It gets into, well, you got to support the troops. Well, why are troops running checkpoints in my country? I thought we were a free nation. The heck's going on here? Why do I got guys in uniforms pulling people out of cars like, you know, like there was a mass shooting or something? But it's all acclamation. It is all acclamation to what's coming down the road. And I'm not saying when the stuff's coming down the road, guys. I'm not saying that it's right around the corner. And then we're going to wake up tomorrow and there's going to be martial law. We have contingency plans for it. Do I believe that we should have contingency plans for it? Yeah. But do I believe that we should be running exercises with with uh, giant black helicopters over downtown Houston and downtown Miami and, and with with simulated live fire around federal buildings to get the people acclimated? But most people won't see it as acclimation. They just see it as, oh, well, it's just a drill. Well, yeah, they had drills on you know seven seven and nine eleven too, but you know nobody gets into all that. You don't get into that on the mainstream news about well, you know, typically governments do kind of things like this to acclimate people into just thinking that it's going to be a okay. They're doing simulations at schools all over the all over the state here in Georgia where it's like mass shooter drills. It's acclimation. It's not mass shooter to prepare you for it because they teach you to go sit in a corner and get in the fetal position so you make a nice you know, round target so we can get the body count up. Because then the system can come in and play the referee and say, look at all these terrible things happening. We need the firearms. And I've got some really, really fantastic news on that too. This comes out of Forbes. And I'll read the headline, but it breaks down throughout the entire article. It says NRA winning the influence battle over gun control. Well, yeah, when you come when you come with a slant of, look, here are the documents, here's the truth, here's the facts, here's what's going on with this. Here, here is how you can really deter criminals. Here's how you can stop violent crime or at least slow down violent crime. You're not going to stop it completely. You're always going to have nuts. You're always going to have people that are going to do bad things, whether it's with a butcher knife, a pitchfork. Or a firearm. They're just going to do bad things. People go crazy. That's just being human is all about the unknown. I mean, think about this, guys. We are on a rock for the most part, orbiting a giant sun that the only thing that keeps us from spinning off this planet and spinning out into the universe in eventual doom. Within, I would say, within weeks, if we lost the sun, not even weeks, probably uh, less than a week. There's probably been actuaries done about what would happen. But we are in a gigantic galaxy hurtling around a sun. That's where we're at. And then we're little specks of life on this on this rock out in the middle of the universe. That to me is amazing. And then you have people that believe, for some odd reason or another, I don't know if it's television influence, if it's, um, you know, I, I guess cognitive dissonance, I don't know. But some people believe that just because they're not crazy, it's like they, um, they, they just project 
their persona and their ideology and 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 their belief system onto everyone else, which it, it just doesn't work. You know, you can't you can't account for people that go crazy, people that have mental illness, people that are on these serotonin reuptake inhibitors that even say, you know, you're going to have thought suicide, mass death, all kinds of stuff. And like I said before, I've known people that have taken these things, and they're just like, man, I had to get off that stuff. That stuff is bad news. So anyway, transitioning off of that, I kind of got onto a little digression on on humanity itself, and that we have to first realize that we're not biometric computers. And then second, you have to realize that what you're in a fight for right now, whether you know it or not, there is a huge aristocracy, oligarchy, whatever you want to call it. There is a super ruling class that exists on this earth. And they use the tools of finance. They use the tools of the media. They are there to manipulate and distract you from what you can really do about things. They teach you that the individual is weak and the collective is strong. Because if they teach you that the individual has power and the individual as part of the collective has even more power, then you won't have any more reason to have them around. And that's why government always likes to play the referee because if you just come out and say, well, we're humans and I think we can pretty much you know, take care of all this stuff and, and you know, I, I'm pretty good with not killing my neighbor. My neighbor's not good with killing me. We're not going to rob each other. We don't really need your black uniforms to come around and, and harass us and all that stuff. But that's but that's what the job of government is, especially when you get to the point where we're at now where we have a large federal government. State government is different. State government, you still have people from your basic you know, your your district and people that are gonna know you and know your family and stuff like that. You're gonna have a little bit more of a softer cushion to it. But when you get to the federal level it is so disconnected from when the marching orders come down, no pun intended, from Washington, and they get disseminated down through the ranks, then you're just a number. You're not a person anymore. You're just you're just a number. And that's why they always or they're moving now to make changes at the federal level to set the precedent that the states don't have any power. Because they want total control. Once again. People that run for office are typically not the people that are going to run for your best interest. They're either going to run to get in there and to make business deals, or they're control freaks. Just psychopathic control freaks that will do anything to get in power. So transgressing off of that or digressing off of that, we are going to – I'm going to play the Dennis Kucinich clip from last week where it talks about the firearms because I didn't have time to get into it because it's a rather lengthy clip. And then after that, I want to start talking about the economy. I've got lots of news on the economy, and I've got lots of news on the government. Actually, I'll touch this big government article first. This is out of Breitbart News. It says, poll, 53% um, say that government threatens their freedoms. 53%, guys, which is amazing because now it, it – it, with with Democrats, it's like it's like forty three percent, but with Republicans, it's um, it was all the way up to sixty two percent. It says independents and Republicans agree. Here's part of the article: Independents and Republicans agree that fifty five percent say that the government represents a threat, and thirty three percent say that it represents a major threat. Yay! These people actually read history and understand what happens. Nothing good ever came out of a huge, swollen federal government, especially when almost 50% of the population now is on some kind of government assistance, whether you actually work for the federal government, whether you're getting subsidies for them, or whether you're actually getting um, you know, government checks like EBT and stuff like that. So we are at, at the danger zone. We are at red-level danger zone for the exact opposite of what this country was supposed to be. And it never happens. over. It doesn't happen overnight, guys. It kind of slowly creeps, and now we're at the point – we are at the precipice. We are at the point where things could start getting a little crazy. And why do you say that, Jake? Well, because I watch what happens with our monetary policy because that will always dictate – 
I mean, money is the root of all evil, right? So if you watch the money, if you watch the flow of money, you should get a pretty good understanding of what's about to happen. So when you have the Fed putting all this private, putting all this money into our economy, when you have things like that happening, and then admitting in their own writings back in 2006 that, sure, we didn't see this collapse coming at all, and then they sell you on the fact that they are the masters of the universe, that they have all of this control. And what we have learned in the past is that the best way to, to fix things is let the market work it out. But what we have now is we have the Federal Reserve in meddling and trying to do what they're quote-unquote supposed to do, and that's you know stave off inflation as well as control – you know, control the price of goods and services and not let get anything get too out of whack. That's why when you see gold or silver start to make a surge, you'll all of a sudden see it stop because the Fed will actually pump in money. And the government will come in and start buying up those assets in order to keep the price at that level. They will actually buy it at a, at a, at a higher level in order to stave off a, a surge, and they've been caught doing this thousands of times. And you know, and setting rates and stuff like that's crazy stuff. So the overwhelming gist of what I'm trying to get to is watch the money. If you watch the money, then you're going to understand what's going to happen when the money supply fluctuates, when interest rates go down. If you understand that kind of stuff, then you should be able to get a good idea of what's going to happen to you and your dollar. And thus, what's going to happen to your nation and, and how it's going to have political influence and then come back on the people, in essence. That being said, yesterday was an experience for myself and my wife. We went to um, a tax uh, professional, and we started looking at our taxes, and it looks like we actually owe money. Oh, not a ton of money, but it's enough. It's enough for my wife got mad and said, I, I've never had to pay taxes before, but I guess we fall into you know that um, that bracket where we're actually going to have to start paying. And she was visibly upset. I can't believe we got to pay. I can't believe we got to pay. And then, of course, I turned the knife just a little bit when I said, hey, hon, doesn't it make you feel even better knowing that you're going to have to pay that to a, a, the collection arm of a private bank that loans your government money? Isn't that fun? And that just sent her into orbit. So that's the way that we need to think about this stuff, guys. That's the way that we need to start looking and revealing this stuff because a lot of the general public don't understand that the private that the private Federal Reserve is is in that. They are private. They respond to they are responsible to no one. So I'm trying to figure out which clip I want to play first because now I've got some clips on the Fed. Let's go with Ron Paul talking about the Fed and the grand experiment and how central planning is a failure. So here's a Ron Paul clip, and then I've got his um, his straight talk from last week. So I'm going to get to this. I'm going to go to Dennis Kucinich, and then I'm going to go to a Ron Paul clip. So here is Ron Paul on the grand experiment of central economic planning. Enjoy. I think what we're witnessing today is the end stages of a grand experiment, a philosophic experiment on total fiat money. Yes, they've been debasing currencies for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and they always end badly. They always return to market-based money, which is commodity money, gold and silver. But this experiment is something different than we've ever had before, and it started in 1971 where we were actually given an opportunity in many ways to be the issuer of the fiat currency, and we had way too many benefits from that than uh, people realized. But it's gone on for 40 years, and people keep arguing from the other side of this argument that it's working, it's doing well. And yet, from my viewpoint and the viewpoint of the free market economists, all it's doing is building a bigger and bigger bubble. And uh, the free market economists were the ones who predicted the Nasdaq bubble, the housing bubbles, but we never hear from the Keynesian liberal economists and the central bankers and saying, watch out, there's, there's a bubble out there. There's uh, too much credit, too many problems there. There's a housing bubble. We have to deal with it. Usually we get reassurance from the Fed on that. Yep. And that really does encapsulate it, and that was pretty good for a minute, and I just sat there and rambled for 20 minutes and probably couldn't say what Ron Paul said in a minute. 
But in essence, he's he's 100% correct in the fact that the only thing that our Federal Reserve System can create is bubbles. It can create a financial bubble. It can create a housing bubble. And now what we're staring down the barrel of soon will be the student loan bubble. Why would you say the student loan bubble, Jake? Well, just look at the jobs that these students are getting right out of college. They're not getting the jobs that were available when I first got out of college. Not getting the starting salary and not getting this stuff. These guys coming out with their degrees, whatever your degree is in, and for some people with the less than desirable degree, we'll just put it that way, like your phys ed degree or your um, not communications degree, that's still a little bit valuable, but you know, sports therapy and stuff like that, that people that think they're going to go be a, um, a uh, I guess, a, an agent or something like that, those are the people that are going to get hurt. Because they're going to have to go to work at Dick's Sporting Goods or something like that and and make eight, nine, ten bucks an hour and then have three or four hundred dollars student loan payments at the end of each month. And they're just not going to make it and they're going to default. Why is that such a big deal? Well, because a lot of those loans are government loans. So you start having defaults on that. Now we've got another problem. Not only do we have the federal government financing our housing through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that organization. But now we're going to have it through the student loans. So that's the next thing we need to watch for because that would be, uh, once again, another bubble that is just devastating. But hey, that's the only thing that these guys can create. But they bury their heads in the sand and say everything's fine. Trust us. We know what we're doing. But yet we're going to release press releases back in 2006 that say we have no freaking clue what we're doing. It's really, really frustrating. So now we're going to go to the clip from Gerald Salente talking about cheap money. Now, what is cheap money, Jake? Cheap money means that they are adding money to the money supply, a.k.a. what the Federal Reserve is doing currently. And they're doing this in a multitude of ways. Currently, what they're doing is they're monetizing debt, which would mean that they're buying up all of these these housing assets that are going sour, basically these just bad bets that these people made on these houses, and they're buying up these these mortgage-backed securities, monetizing those at the tune of $40 billion a month. I think that's right. God, that number just sounds so big. It's ridiculous. So anyway, so they're doing that. They're adding money to the money supply, and then they're lowering interest rates. So what does that do? It creates a calamity of errors. Number one, since interest rates are almost at zero, that means that money's really cheap. So the people that can afford to get good interest rates are going to go out there and get the cheap money, and then they're going to buy assets from the people that don't have the ability to get the cheap money. And that's what you're seeing. It's a wealth transfer. And typically what will happen is that you'll have the wealth transfer from the middle class to the super class or the, the elites, as we like to call them. And those are the people that are the 1% of the 1%, probably about six or 7,000 people altogether on this planet since there are about six or 7 billion people on this planet. I can't remember the numbers. They change. So that being said, the wealth transfer is about to occur, and you're going to start seeing it. I'm starting to see it already. What you'll see is you'll see commodity prices rise. You'll see luxury items go through the roof like yachts, boats, and stuff like that. Because these people are using – and Gerald Salente gets into it. It's called leverage buyout. They're getting the cheap money, and they're going out and buying these things that they normally wouldn't be able to afford because the interest rates would be higher. And then they they basically just price themselves out from that perspective, or the return on investment isn't good enough for them to actually make the initial investment, thus getting them into a little bit of trouble or not bringing the returns that they wish to have. So here is Gerald Salente on the money, and then we'll transfer from that, and that'll leave me a little bit of time to hit the news and get into a couple of clips that I did not play last week. So here is Gerald Salente on the economy talking about the free money and their cheap money and why that's going to create a an influx into the market of purchases, which is going to give the facade that we're going to have an economy or that we're having a recovery when 
in essence, what's going to happen is the more and more this this phony money gets out in the marketplace, the more destruction it does to your dollar, the more it destroys your purchasing power, and thus moves you down the ladder as far as your ability to go out and do the things that you wish to do or sustain the you know the type of life that you wish to sustain. So, here is the clip on cheap money. Well, again, you know when you when you look at the consumer, you know gasoline prices mean a lot. You know, that's what really hits a, the big screen TV, the things that count. GDP rolls off the mind of most people. They don't know what that even is, even though it could have bought Brad Press just before the election. So, again, you know, I don't know their motivation. But what I do know, again, is where it hit the consumer in the pocket the most, and that's gasoline prices. That's in front of everybody virtually every day. Those numbers really dove before the election, and now they're spiking back up after the election. So to me, that is the subtleness that I look for. All right, fourth quarter didn't look good at all, uh, shrank the first time since 2009. But more recently, the White House, um, or the, excuse me, the stock market has surged more than 6% this year, breaking a record. So, Gerald, isn't that a good sign? Again, why is money going into the stock market? Listen to the words that just came out of Davos last week. Three letters, LBO, leverage buyouts. Money is cheap. You're not getting any interest. In the old days when I was a kid, people had this strange thing. They used to put money away in the bank, Liz, and get a return on it with interest rate increase. You put your money in the bank now, you take it out, you lost money, accounting for inflation and currency devaluation. So people, this is a known strategy that by lowering interest rates, more money would flood into the equity markets. They knew this. We said this when it was happening before they, when they started to do it. So that's what's boosting up the stock market. And again, the only thing that's keeping any of this going, not only in the U.S., in, in the U.K., in, now in Japan, in the European central banks, they're all dumping money into the system and lowering interest rates. That's the only thing that's keeping it alive, and that's what's propping up the stock market. Now, Gerald, uh, we don't have too much time left, but uh, when you see the figures, uh, the fourth quarter doesn't look very good. This is prompting fears of another recession. I know that you are kind of a, this master forecaster. What do you think is the likelihood of uh, another recession? Our forecast of 2013 is more of the same but worse. We see recession on the horizon. There's going to be a point, Liz, when they have to raise interest rates because of the debasement and devaluation of the currencies. When that happens, you're not going to see homes being so, uh, bought the way they are now. You're going to see a slowdown across the board. Again, the only thing that's keeping this going is the cheap money, the zero interest rates, not only in the U.S., but in Japan, around the world. It's a currency war. Everyone knows it. At some point, the interest rates are going to go up and the economy is going All to go down. Right. Uh, Gerald, that's a very unsettling forecast you bring us there, especially, you know, a lot of people hoping and praying that we are getting out of this last recession that we, are, that we were in. But I uh, really appreciate you coming on. That was Gerald Salente. <laughs> I love it. Are we going to go back into a recession for real? When did we leave the first one that started back in 2008? Somebody give me some numbers that are going to really make me happy. Oh, wait, you can't. Not even with your cookbooks. We're, we're seriously looking right down the barrel of just absolute unmitigated craziness. It's about to be cuckoo time, everybody. Probably within two years, we will have a financial catastrophe. I don't think it's going to be as soon as April, like some people are saying. But what we're doing is unsustainable. Hey, our gross domestic product just came out, and we're at um, we're at less than one, you know, we're at less than even debt to GDP ratio. That is not good. For those of you that don't understand economics, basically we are spending more than we bring in. And that 0.1% or whatever it is, that's a lot of money. 
You know, I mean, you think about it. We're spending, you know, almost two trillion a year on on military spending alone. I mean, holy cow! It's one percent of two trillion. That's just from that perspective. So, got a lot of stuff out there. So, here is the next clip that I wanted to get into, and this is Dennis Kucinich, and he was on Fox News. So, forgive Sean Hannity on here, but I do want to get into this because this is. Once again, Dennis Kucinich, he's he's one of the Democrats that I could actually vote for because he's going to stand up there for the Constitution and say, no, this isn't right. Monetary policy, he's got some good strategies there. He's a little bit you know, different from Ron Paul, and Ron Paul wants the gold standard. Dennis Kucinich wants kind of a mixture, but I think it's a good starting point. At least we got two people from opposite aisles coming together and trying to really create reform. But hey, both of these guys are leaving, so what does that mean? That means that we're going to have to start looking at these establishment candidates and calling them what they are, calling them establishment candidates. You have a bunch of ostrich. I'm going to set the groundwork for everybody so you understand where we're at as a nation right now. I would say 80% of what we have in the Senate and the House are ostrich. They're burying their heads in the sand. They're continuing on with the status quo. They're continuing on with whoever's going to fund their campaign, whoever's going to give money to their district, all of those things. They are going along. These are the people that are going to jump on the gun-grabbing legislation. These are the people that are going to jump on to uh, the immigration legislation because they are bought and paid for. The special interests own these guys. And when I say special interest, what does that mean? Large corporations with an agenda. Easiest one I can find, Monsanto. Hey, let's do GMO testing on humans after three months, after 90 days. Not allowed. Why? Monsanto. These guys will not allow any human testing. And that's from the GMO standpoint. So now you have all kinds of different interests like that that are coming in and lining these guys' pockets saying, we need you to vote for this referendum in this way. And if you do, we'll give money to your district, which in turn will funnel money to them. It's just how it works. How do you think Dianne Feinstein got all her money? How do you think Nancy Pelosi got all her money? Her wealth went up by something like – I think it was like 77 percent when she got into Congress. I mean how do these people that get in there – think about this. Ask yourself this question. These people that are making less than $200,000 a year come in with you know maybe a million dollars, maybe a little bit less, and then leave with like $100 million. They're not playing the game fair, guys. They're not in it for you. Once again, it's either business deals for them to go and, and try to get you know tax-free money, banker bailout money, tax you know government welfare. You've heard that term a lot. I don't know if you know what it means, but that's what it is. Government welfare is free government money like Solyndra and things like that where you can just get money and then go bankrupt and then and then funnel it to all your boys and then it's curtains. You can't track and trace the money. Well, we're we're bankrupt so we can't give the money back, but then all the money is offshore to all these other either it's it's either a shell account or you had somebody to go in there to pass the legislation and then and then they get their big bailout money. They get their big bailout through the back door where it's like, oh, okay, well, we're going to fund $20 million of this, and you're a 5% shareholder, so you get your, you know, whatever, your $100,000 that gets kicked right to you just because of the amount of funding that you got. That's the way it breaks down, and those are the people that run our nation. So you need to wake up to this. You need to understand that the game is on. The battle between the people and the bureaucrats. And the, and the swollen federal government and the large establishment, which the establishment is going to be anything that would be revolving large corporate America. You know, things where they get all the government contracts and, and all these, you know, small to medium sized businesses that should be able to compete with them because there's legislation in place, but they just circumvent the legislation and say, oh, well, we don't have to really follow that. It's kind of like where they. They say that they can they can insider trade. Well, we can insider trade if the, if the if if the ethics board says that it's okay, then we can insider trade. 
What? I mean, fundamentally, that's wrong. I know fundamentally that's wrong. Wait a minute. What are you doing insider trading? Shouldn't you be up there trying to protect my rights? And that's where we've lost it. Got to start holding these people accountable. And I do have to look up a, a piece of legislation because I have to get into this because for those of you that live in Georgia, guess what? There's an assault weapons ban introduced here in state legislature. I'll get you the I'll get you the, the number and everything. I'll get you the person that introduced it. I'll get you the cosigners towards the end of the broadcast today. So if you live here in the state of Georgia, and I'm doing this because this is what we should be doing, everyone. If you're listening to this broadcast and you don't have your own podcast, you need to look up the legislation in your area and find out what's going on. What's the first thing that I did after Obama did his um, executive order you know, circumventing the Second Amendment? Totally unconstitutional, but it was just a chess game to get Congress to react and do something. But now the public's pushing back, and as I said earlier, the NRA says that, hey, you, know, um, you guys are winning – you guys are winning the political battle here. The NRA is, excuse me. And it's just common sense. So you have to get involved now. You have to inform yourself now. You have to understand what legislation means. You have to be able to read legislation. And I'm not the world's best, but you probably know somebody but find out what's going on in your area because you do not want to be blindsided by this. So if you live in a state and you don't think that there's an, an, an anti-gun legislation – I mean listen. I, I grew up in Georgia, rural Georgia. I mean everybody had guns. Everybody had you know, a shotgun rack in the back of their truck with a gun in it. Everyone. I shot my first gun when I think I was like eight years old. It's just a way it, – it, for people that live outside the perimeter – for those of you that live in Atlanta, understand. For for those that live outside the perimeter, guns are just a way of life here. I mean, it's not scary. It's just something that somebody has, and it's like, oh, that's cool. You got you got a gun. That's awesome. But if that kind of legislation can be introduced here in the state of Georgia, it can happen anywhere. So here's the Dennis Kucinich clip because I won't have much time after this, and I do want to get into a lot of geopolitical things. And I also wanted to touch on what you need to be doing with your local municipalities. Once again, as soon as I found out the legislation, oh my gosh, listen to how big of a criminal I was. I actually went over to the sheriff's office in person and wanted to speak with my sheriff. Ended up speaking to a couple of his deputies, really nice guys. But I was like, you know, I'd like to, you know, make an appointment or what do I have to do? And they all just kind of they, they they pull their head back, and they're like, well, what do you want to talk to the sheriff about? And I said, well, there's been some unconstitutional legislation that came out, and I just want to get an idea of where he stands on the Second Amendment. I need to know that my sheriff has got my back on this because this is unconstitutional, and you can't just go around making arbitrary laws circumventing Congress. That's really getting towards Creepville. And the guy just gave me a big smile and said, well… He's going to release a press release, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that he's pro-Second Amendment. Go on to his website, press releases saying, hey, I want everybody to get guns to protect yourself. How cool. But that's what the kind of stuff you need to know, everybody. You need to know where your local municipality falls under these things. You need to watch out for the Gym to 21 stuff. You need to watch out for the sustainable development, any kind of like joint project or something like that, or green project. You need to go investigate it, and you need to understand, is it Agenda 21, or is it something legitimate? This is stuff we got to do. I mean, I know that it's crazy that we have to do this in, the, in America. We have to actually go and fight for gun rights. That's bonkers. I understand that. I understand that it's crazy that the government is buying 1.6 billion bullets. I understand that that's crazy. I understand that it's crazy that one your local municipalities are getting these armored, you know, these armored vehicles for for SWAT when you live in a predominantly low violence area. I understand that's crazy. But once again, things will only go as far as we will let them. If you start standing up and you start pushing back, they'll stop. That's why I push back so hard. 
You think it was fun for me to know that I'm going to have to pay $500 plus to a private bank, which lends my government money and interest and has devalued my currency 98% since 1913? You think it makes me feel good to know that stuff? No. But knowing that, now I can go and educate people and say, hey, 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 hey. Wouldn't you like to go back to something that's actually going to grow over time? Wouldn't you like to get away from the fake monopoly money? Wouldn't you like to get away from the people at the top having all this wealth and then doing a huge wealth transfer? That's why they tax 77% of the middle class, everybody. That's why the 77% of the population got a tax increase. It's not because they're there for you and they're trying to make things better. It's because they're trying to bankrupt you. They are trying to bankrupt the middle class. It's the same thing that happened in England. It's the same thing that happens over time, over and over and over again. You get a tremendously wealthy society. Where else, where's all the wealth lie? It never lies in the top percent. That's never what determines society. They're always going to have their money. They transcend money. They don't even care about money anymore. It doesn't matter. Where the money lies and where the wealth lies is in that middle class, that middle section. That determines where you're at. And right now, we've got people doing what Gerald Salente said. They're creating cheap money, which is devaluing your currency. But it's at such a slow peel that you're not noticing it. Well, when it becomes a fast peel, because look at all these other nations all over the world. They're doing the same thing that we are. It's like you know, I, at my parents' Christmas party, I got to run into my old economics professor from high school. And she said, well, you know, we're kind of lucky that we have a Fed. Otherwise, we'd be in – We'd be up the creek. Of course we'd be up the creek. If we couldn't print all the money, we'd be in a lot of trouble. So why, why, why does all this stuff matter, Jake? Once again, if you understand the large concept, and that's what I'm trying to get across here, large concept of things, you are probably like me. You are probably not worth millions and billions of dollars. So you're going to probably fall right into this middle class area that I'm talking about. Not the working poor. I'm talking about the middle class. We are the only resistance to tyrannical government, to world government. We are it. That little section, if you define yourself as a middle class, you are it. You know why? Because you still have enough disposable income to do things. You still have enough to protest. You still have enough to give to charities that you like. You still have enough to go out and, and get behind people that you believe in. Campaigns, you know, like the Campaign for Liberty, things like that, you have enough money where you can actually put things into places where they're going to make good use. And you also have enough money to get out there and protest, and they hate it. So do you do you want the one world government? Do you want do you want all this UN uh, arms treaty? Do you want that? The stuff that I broke down last year where they're going to reintroduce it in May, and it talks about what we're going to label the bullets. We're going to actually have foreign troops come in and help you register your firearms. All been announced. All been announced. Covered it on my show with TJ almost a year ago. So what happens is they introduce this stuff in the UN, and then we push it back and say, no, 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 we're not going to go along with this. This is not happening. And so they push it back. So now it's going to be introduced again in May. And what's going to happen? Well, that's why they're trying to get all these things about the, you know, the private sale of ownership of firearms. You have to understand the bigger picture. The private sale and ownership of firearms, you know, the the the, the personal transfer, that kind of stuff, that is the ultimate hedge against gun confiscation. And they understand that. Why is it the ultimate hedge? Because if I get if I get – let's say my father has a shotgun, and he gives it to me, and then I have no need for a shotgun because I've already got one, or I've got you know something that I don't even want a shotgun. I want to – I want a, a rifle, and my friend's got a rifle and wants to trade me for the shotgun. We go ahead and trade those firearms, and now I have the rifle. He has the shotgun. Does the government know about that? No. Some people say, well, that's kind of scary. You don't know who's got the guns. Listen, this kind of stuff is going to happen whether you like it or not. On the black market, that stuff's going to happen. Criminals are always going to find a way to do something. It's like I said, if you take all the guns from the people, now the people can't defend themselves, and the only, the only people that are going to have the guns are the criminals. That's just common sense, but you have to understand that. You have to understand that bad people are going to do bad stuff. Just because you're not a bad person doesn't mean that everybody's like you. 
understand that bad people do bad things. It's just the way it is. So the dentist can send its clip, and then I'll have about 10 minutes. So sorry for the long buildup, and I did it last week, and I never got to the clips. So here's the clip, and then I'm going to finish up on the on the very tail side here with what we need to be looking for, why we need to be pushing certain things, and what we need to be getting behind. So here is the dentist consentage clip. Me now to debate the merits of this proposal on banning weapons and shotguns and pistols from the American Center for Law and Justice, Jay Sekulow, and former congressman, now a Fox News contributor, Dennis Kucinich. Gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Hi, Sean. Thank you. Hi, Sean. All right, Dennis, a particular welcome uh, to you. you know, we disagree on issues. Um, you're a pretty honest guy, though. Politician gives his word. I'm sure you believe that they should follow through on it. So Barack Obama said he's never going to go after our guns. That's what he said. He made that promise. Why would he do that now? Because that's what he's doing. Well, well he can't, you know, he can't get rid of, of everyone's guns because the Supreme Court case, D.C. versus Heller, established uh, the right to bear uh, arms as an individual right. So that's a given. But now, he's trying. Uh, the point is he's trying but, to. But the Constitution protects the right to bear arms. What right. this law is trying to do and it has to it recognize the Constitution, because what does it do? It exempts about 2,250 different kinds of guns. But clearly, it's going after assault weapons. And, I, I mean, I understand that. But I, I, there's one point I want to make before we start the debate, and that is this. Here's what I don't understand. This, the people are weaponizing themselves historically because they're, you know, historically, you go back to the beginning of the Constitution, it was to protect themselves against the tyrannical government. So now, with government getting ever more powerful, people weaponize themselves. But what's happening at the same time? More of our tax dollars is going to helping to make the government even more powerful. Somebody has to puzzle that out for me. Beam me up, Scotty. Jay, I'm, I'm, he, Dennis Kucinich yeah. is the first liberal that, is, that seems to actually have an understanding of the Second Amendment. Well, he... Sorry, I had to cut that short because I just came across an article that I have to get into. And I also have to get to the Ron Paul's intravenous foreign policy, talking about um, talking about President Barack Obama. And I'm sure he's going to talk about blowback. I haven't heard the straight talk, but here is the straight talk. I've got four minutes on the straight talk, so everybody listen to this. And I'm going to get into huge – I don't know if this is breaking or not, but it's the first post I've seen from it. A huge push from the Campaign for Liberty talking and warning the people about tyranny. So this is not a joke, everybody. This is not a joke. This is, Once again, this is not a drill. Red alert, red alert. We are under attack. Liberty under fire, everyone. Liberty under fire. So here is the Ron Paul on the straight talk, and then I'm going to get into the article, break it down. Everything will be posted at wearenotcattle.net. If you guys want to check out some of the new YouTube videos, go to We Are Not Cattle TV. And once again, you can follow me on Twitter, We Are Not Cattle, the number one, and that is We Are Not Cattle, the number one on Twitter. So here is the Ron Paul straight talk, and then I'll get into the huge breaking story from the examiner. Here it is. Hello, this is Ron Paul with your weekly update for January 28th. U.S. action in Mali is another undeclared war. President Obama last week began his second term by promising that a decade of war is now ending. As he spoke, the U.S. military was rapidly working its way into another war, this time in the impoverished African country of Mali. As far as we know, the U.S. is only providing transport and intelligence assistance to France, which initiated the intervention, then immediately called Washington for backup and funding. However, even if U.S. involvement is limited, and as Defense Secretary Leon Panetta said, U.S. boots on the ground are not being considered at this time, this clearly is developing into another war. As usual, the mission is creepy. Within the first week of French military action in Mali, the promise that it would be a quick operation to put down an Islamic rebel advance toward the capital was broken. France announced that it would be forced to send in thousands of troops and would need to remain far longer than the few weeks it initially claimed would be necessary. 
media questions as to whether the U.S. has special operation forces, drones, or CIA paramilitary units active in Mali are unanswered by the administration. Congress has asked few questions and demanded few answers from the president. As usual, it was not even consulted. But where does the president get the authority to become a co-combatant in French operations in Mali, even if U.S. troops are not yet overtly involved in the attack? How did we get to Mali? Blowback and unintended consequences played key roles. When the president decided to use the U.S. military to attack Libya in 2011, Congress was not consulted. The president claimed that U.N. and NATO authority for the use of the U.S. military forces were sufficient and even superior to any kind of congressional declaration. Congress once again relinquished its authority, but also its oversight power by remaining silent. That meant the difficult questions such as why is the action necessary, what would it entail, and what kind of unintended consequences might we see if the operation does not go exactly as planned, would neither ask nor answer. When Gaddafi was overthrown in Libya, many fighters from Mali who had lived in Libya had been trained by Gaddafi's military returned to their home country with sophisticated weapons and a new determination to continue their fight for independence for northern Mali. Thus, the French-initiated action against Libya in 2011 led to new violence and instability in Mali that France decided it must also address. Shortly after the French attack, of Mali, rebels in Algeria attacked a BP gas facility in retaliation for their government's decision to allow foreign military to fly over Algerian territory en route to Mali. Thus, the action in Mali to solve the crisis created by the prior action in Libya is turning into a new crisis in Algeria. This is the danger of interventionism, and as we saw in Vietnam more than four decades ago, it threatens to drag the U.S. further into the conflict, and Congress is A-W-O-L. There's a reason why the framers of our Constitution placed the authority to declare war strictly with the legislative branch of government. They knew well that kings were all too willing to go to war without the consent of those who would do the killing and dying and funding. By placing that authority in Congress, the people's branch of government, they intended to blunt the executive branch's enthusiasm toward overseas adventurism. The consequences of this steady erosion of our system toward the unitary executive are dire. Thank you for calling this update. A new update is placed. Okay, so there's that portion. And now I am going to read this entire article once again that will be posted um, just a few minutes after the show. So you can go to wearenotcattle.net, look under the the show links. I'll put all the hyperlinks there so you can actually go read this article for yourself. And it's entitled, and it's from the examiner, it said, Ron Paul warns of looming tyranny. Shocker. And I'm not saying that it's fun, guys. This is something you need to be freaking out about. Now, I freak out about it when I'm off air. I can't get on air and freak out because that will make everybody panic or make me seem like I'm some crazy conspiracy theorist or whatever. So try to stay as calm as possible, but understand the threat is real. The threat's always there, but the threat is now real. And so here it is. Campaign for Liberty, emailed by Ron Paul Tuesday, outlines potential serious the seriousness of the establishment and the current pro-gun grab agenda. America's most popular libertarian and father of the Tea Party movement, former Texas Representative Ron Paul, has come forward to express serious concern about the nature of what is sold as a liberal agenda, but with help from the members on both sides of the congressional aisle. Remember, I got into this on my show last week. Why are both sides of the aisle kind of going for the gun grab? Because it's, 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 it's not about the guns. It's about the establishment. It's pro-establishment. Understand it. It's establishment or you, everyone. Do you want to govern yourself? Do you want it, do you want it to be um, you know a government of the, po- of the people, by the people, and for the people, or do you want it to be a government of the rich and powerful and, and insane uh, ruling over you, almost like a, a nouveau riche um, dictatorship? 
So here it says, in the email sent out to all uh, Campaign for Liberty subscribers, Ron Paul warned that the fight is going to happen fast and the statists are determined to strike while the anti-gun hysteria across the U.S. is at full blast. I've, we've all said this, that, that the statists are going to come out and they're going to push that we need to do this because, number one, it's going to if – if you have the guns in the hands of the people, it affects the power monopoly of the state because, like I said before – Whoever has the guns has control. If we have the guns, then we can keep the government in check. Now, everybody's like, well, what are you going to do against drones? Listen, if they start droning us as a nation, don't you think that some other nations are going to come to help and go, holy cow, what is this country doing? It's droning its own people? No, that stuff's not going to happen. So, you know, you guys that think that it's going to be rise, you know, rise of the machines and all that stuff, that ain't going to happen. At least I hope it doesn't. Holy cow. Okay, so continuing. Taking over the role as chairman for the Campaign for Liberty after retiring from Congress just weeks ago, Paul now heads a nonprofit that aims to protect liberty, constitutional government, sound money, free markets, non interventionist foreign policy. Holy cow. If you guys don't know about Campaign for Liberty, I would highly suggest you read about it because it is fantastic. In addition to the more, un- more commonly known ideas, Champion while in the 2012 presidential campaign, Paul warned in the email that disarmed countries are no safer are not safer countries as gun control activists have continuously argued. Yeah, you take the guns and then crime skyrockets because only the criminals have guns. Continuing, only according to the noted champion of the Constitution, countries. Where only those in power are armed, supposedly civilian population's protection oh, – supposedly for the civilian population's protection – are cesspools of violence. Shocker. Just look at – and it even, even says here – potentially looking at Chicago's skyrocketing crime rates as a perfect example. And then they go for the total gun ban a couple of weeks ago um, out in uh, Indiana. So just absolute craziness. He added that gun that Obama's gun restriction proposal developed an assault weapon, an assault on your rights and chastised the pro gun ban and he chastised the pro gun ban by Diane Feinstein, which is absolutely ludicrous. It's like anything that might like make a loud bang is restricted. But the toughest words used by the Campaign for Liberty's chairman, however, were directed towards mandatory background checks for gun purchases. Wow. It's like he was listening to the show. An idea he considers a thinly veiled national gun registration scheme, once again, as I said before, is going to be leveraged in conjunction with the UN um, Small Arms Treaty, which is not about small arms at all. It's about registering all your guns so they can – and he even talks about – in the legislation, talks about confiscation with foreign troops and everything, but you know everything's fine. Don't worry about it. After all, you and I both know registration is the first step towards confiscation. Oh, no. Don't hit him with more facts, Ron Paul. This is just too – this is extreme. I, I can't even read this on air. This is so extreme. What an evil, evil American. He went on to argue that Americans to donate for – or he went on to urge Americans – not argue – went on to urge Americans to donate to Campaign for Liberty and sign the Liberty Protection Directive kicked off just a couple of days ago. So as to set a fight against the globalist gun control zealots and those who may have no idea how important America's Second Amendment rights truly are. Seeing the status, frantic rush to increase government power and further restrict our freedoms, he stressed, I have to wonder if our gun rights are the last thread holding together this republic. Hoping people are still able – and this is, this is the wrap-up. And this is where you all need to pay attention. Hoping people are still able to learn from the past and how tyranny has almost always developed, has almost always developed. It's not a conspiracy theory. It is the norm. What they might do once they have nothing but disarmed victims in their sight, world history brings us to mind some horrific possibilities. There it is, and that is a great way to close the show. And I mean, I've got one minute here, but that is in essence it. Once again, everybody, understand 
if they take the guns or they want to register the guns, that stuff's going to the UN. And I don't want a bunch of non-elected bureaucrats to tell me that I can't have guns. That's craziness. And then they're going to register them and confiscate them. And then everything's fine because governments have never turned tyrannical in the past. That stuff never happens. You know, only over 300 million people have died from democide in the last 100 years. Democide, death by government in nonviolent conflicts. That's the government killing its own people, everybody. Look it up. So that's all the time I got for you. I am going to post the legislation on the site, so everybody, if you're wanting to know what the actual legislation is, uh, I know to support HR 35 in here um, all over the all over the U.S. and that is to actually arm the teachers. So look at that HR 35. Thanks to everybody for listening. Sorry for you know not covering everything fully. I'll try to do better next time. But hey, this is what it's all about, man. Everybody, get informed, get involved, get this stuff out to your friends, and let's do this. Let's beat these people and let's restore freedom to the republic. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.